welcome to Book Club Live. This week, chapters 7, 8 and 9 of Way of the Wolf by Jordan Belfort. We're live, Michael! Stop looking at your phone! Somebody more important than you. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Good week! Interesting, man. Really fascinating client, Nick. You know, I told you to watch the show. I hope you are. Really fascinating stuff that he was talking about, I think. Right. I, re I read a book a while ago called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Right. You read it? No. Was it a revolution? It's an amazing book, actually, I thought. And me and Nick were talking about that. I mean, I was with the guy for about an hour and three quarters. Right. Going through a brief. We spent about, you know, a good amount of time talking about that. So it's been an interesting week, but good. And I'm going to play nine holes of golf after this. The first nine holes in the second nine holes, sorry, in two years. Your second nine holes of golf in two years. Yeah, yeah. How very exciting. Yes, good. Right. Okay. I'm going to see some relatives tomorrow. Are you looking forward to it? It's all right. <laughs> Shall we talk about our book? Yeah, let's do that. Right. So we are on chapters seven, eight, and nine. We are, yes. Of Way of the Wolf. Um, and the three chapters are chapter seven, which is about advanced tonality. And then there was chapter eight, which was... What have we got here on chapter eight, Mike? I can't remember. I've read them all. Um, yeah. Body language. Uh, yeah. And then canvassing. Uh, then chapter so seven, eight, nine. Chapter nine is the art of prospecting. Yes, well, sorry, prospecting. For, for which we had high hopes, wasn't it? And then chapter eight was advanced body language. So I guess let's have a chat about it, really. So chapter seven, uh, as we look at it right now, I'm just going to focus that in there. So chapter seven, he talks about advanced tonality. And I like this chapter-ish. Um, and I'll tell you what he talks about and what the premise of the, the chapter is, is he says... He starts talking about what he calls the ten core tonalities that drive human influence. And what he means by that is, he's talking about these ten core tonalities, and then he does this big caveat about remember your ethics and integrity. And I wrote here, he starts off with some great salesmanship, with this little part in the book, it says, please write down the following ethical statement. I will never use the strategy I'm about to learn to manipulate my prospects into acting against their own Yeah, I mean, that was him selling the book brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, I've come to a conclusion that I'll probably go into a little bit more at the end, which is I feel like this is a very good piece of sales material for Jordan Belfort's courses, but I don't get a lot of content. Um, but then he talks about these ten tonalities, and I think, okay, um, and, and he's got a point... Oh, he's right. He's definitely got a point about tonalities. He's talking about this line here. I, I highlighted it this morning. It says, he talks about his mum and how she used to talk to him. Yes. And he'd say, um, in this instance, for example, if his mum said, Jordan, in a stern, no-nonsense tone, then the additional words I heard were, get over here right now, what the hell have you done? Mm. And conversely, if his mum went, Jordan, in a sing-song tone, then the additional words he heard were, where are you, my darling? Come out, come out, wherever you are. Yes. And I do agree, I've spent a lot of time trying to coach people on this, particularly when they're trying to get past gatekeepers. I was talking to you about this three chapters ago. Can you actually truly change somebody's tone? You can change the modulation and speed in the voice, but you can't change the tone. You can change their intonation, though. 
Yes, I mean, the first thing I wrote down here, he said something like, you see when you're a born salesperson, you don't have to consciously decide which of the ten, and so on and so forth. And something I've always said, and I think people think I'm a bit mad when I say it, is I think that by listening to the person on the other end of the phone correctly, you get a feeling of which tone you should apply in that situation. Okay, that's not... Yeah, I get that. And that's more... He talks well, a lot more about... about. He talks, uh, he talks a lot more about mirroring and matching, doesn't he? But I think what he's trying to say is, for example, and I, I wrote here, um, do you remember a fella called Jeremy we dealt with many years ago who used to finish every statement and he, at the end of every conversational statement, he'd say, yeah, it was, a, it was a really interesting comment, yeah? Jeremy Hooper. Yeah, I wonder if he's watching. I hope he is. I actually saw him selling to somebody at the Belfry Hotel the other week when I was having a club sandwich before I went to play golf. Lovely fella, Jeremy. Lovely fella. A very good track record. Been with his current employers a long time. And he used to have this very persuasive way where he'd say, so uh, I think we should organise that interview, yeah? I'll tell you who does that, Neil Upton. Right? He says right. Right. And you just find yourself just agreeing to him and and smiling going. It's an intonation and tonality thing. And he's, make, he, he's caveating every question with a close. So every comment he makes to you, he closes well, he's you He's tie-down on the end of every story. Yes, he is. And what he's saying is that you can do that with tonality, can't you? Well, you didn't do it with, with tonality, you did it with a question, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. So, what, so, for example, one of the things I noticed, and we've recruited lots of millennials, is they're all imbued with the upward inflection. Yeah, because they watch Aussie TV. Where they've, no, they've just got it off shit telly, shit artists shit media that they consume do you reckon yes. too much love island too much love island too much love island uh, <laughs> uh, and, and they have this upward inflection so then what happens is they go we put them on the phones or in front of customers and before they know it they're sat in front of the customers going uh, it's uh, working with inward revenue is a really good idea and actually they're asking the client a question and they're denoting uncertainty and I think what your man Belfort's getting at is for example, why would you use a statement with an upward inflection at the end? And he actually talks about using the upward inflection in the right context. Yes, he does, yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And a lot of what I've got out of this book is he's talking a lot about a lot of stuff that isn't talked about enough in the modern sales environment. Well, I mean, principally, Jordan Belford is a salesman. Yes, He's a salesman who's written a book for salespeople. And yes. he's proud of being a salesman. And that's very evident in the book itself. Yeah, I concur. Whereas a lot of the other texts are quite dry. Yeah, almost certainly. Um, uh, uh, they're a little bit dry, a little bit quote-unquote strategic. This guy's down in the weeds about... It's not so, necessarily that. He's saying, I'm a salesman. Yes, I'm yeah. not a psychologist. I'm a salesman. Tell you something that he goes on, uh, he goes on to speak about. And this is chapter 100... Uh, sorry... Still in the same chapter, page 111, 112. Yeah. He, he says, one of the tonalities is about I care or I really want to know tonality. <clears throat> and he says, in his, it, it, when he's talking about scripts, he says, that you, should al- you should always ask, how are you? I've got to tell you. Did I miss that? Yeah, page 112, clearly. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, here you go. In essence, this is about being fully engaged. I just think that is the worst starting point to a sales pitch. Yeah, I'm with you. I just think that is full on. I don't give a shit how you are, but I think I ought to ask it. But actually what's happening to you as a prospect is you're immediately putting your guard up. 
Good morning, my name's Jonathan Graham. I'm calling from Revenue Consulting. How are you today? Oh, yeah, guards up, gone. Yeah, I'm and fine I think to myself. I really don't want to speak to you right yeah, now. Yeah, and I think to myself, really cold, is cold. that because this is an old book? Is that because it's old fashioned? Because I tell you what, my mate had a car accident a couple of weeks ago. When I see him at some point this weekend, which I will do, I'll say, hey, Tom, how are you? And I really mean, Tom, how are you? I really want to know how you are. Yeah. And when I ask people, how are you? I mean, how are you? But I think in this sales pattern stuff that we're getting now, it's, here's your script, how are you? Brackets, I really care. Well, you... It's not that, it's, how are you? Brackets, somebody told me to ask it. Well, actually, I think when you ask, how are you, in a sales context, you're in, uh, metaphorically inviting yourself for a punch in the mouth, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, and I want... How are you? I'll tell you how I am, I'm busy. How, but... how many times do you get that? How are you today? Busy. Well, you're just setting yourself up wrongly. Yeah. But, but on the next page, though... What I really did like about what he was saying is, the line is, Hi, my name is Bill Patterson, calling from Acme Travel Company in Beverly Hills, California. Now, what he has done there, if you can read the book, is he's broken it into three things. And he said, Hi, my name is Bill Patterson. Yeah. Two, calling from Acme Travel Company. Yeah. Three, in Beverly Hills. And actually, what he's alluding to in those three sentences is, Hi, my name is Bill Patterson. Little gap. Oh, you want to interject, but I'm not quite going to let you. But I thought you might have a go. Calling from Acme Travel Company. Oh, you want to interject, but I'm not going to let you. In Beverly Hills, California. Now, I think that kind of scripting is very smart. That's not about tonality, though. That's about the timing of the sentence. And that I think he's got that right. Because I think whilst you can't change your tone, you can change the speed with which you speak. Your timing and your cadence. Correct. And I think that's about timing. And on one page, 112, I thought, Jordan, you are talking out of your ass. That's absolute rubbish. Yep. And on chapter 113, I thought, right, he won you, now he won you we're back a bit. It. And then another thing on, chapter, on page, sorry, not chapter 113, on page 113, that again I thought was brilliant, is he goes, by phrasing each of these statements as questions, back to back, you infer what's called a micro-agreement. Now, I don't know whether it was you... Dave Shields, Steve Griffith, or somebody at Howard Jackson, one of, one of you, on about day three, referred to that as an agreement staircase. And what you were talking about... Agreement ladder, I used to call Agreement it. ladder, maybe that was it. And you would just ask, tie down after tie down after tie down after tie down, and before you knew it, you were tied into it. So he sounds good, this candidate, doesn't he? Yes. And I tell you, he was brilliant. And he's it. got an excellent track record, hasn't he? Yes. The master, and it was his only skill, if you're watching Steve Griffith, is Steve Griffith. He just used to literally, I bet he drove his wife and kids Tied absolutely downs. mad. Tied down every sentence, every time, all the time. Yeah. So, so uh, I like that. And, and, and he says, see, there is a line here I think is really good. Remember, tonality is the secret weapon of influence uh, because it's an unspoken language. Your prospect hears words without you having to say them and gets influence without even knowing. And he is right. And I made a note here to, to say to the viewers, really, if you get a chance, go to YouTube and YouTube, Darren Brown buys jewellery. And there's a great... I've seen it where he pays well, with the I, fake I, money. I've often shown it to new trainees where he pays with blank money. And 90% of that is... There's Amazing. two things. One Amazing. is embedded... The, what he's actually using in that is sleight of mouth uh, language patterns and embedded commands. And what he's also using is a much more sophisticated version of this advanced tonality. 
Yeah, um, right. and if you if you if you've been trained in it, in it, you'll realise you can deconstruct it a little bit. So, for example, he goes into the shop and he says to the guy, uh, "I'm very nervous about being in New York. I'm very nervous about being in New York." Anyway, how much is the ring? And my, my friend says I should be careful about being in New York. And I said, "What should I do?" And he said, "You should take the subway." And I said, "But really, take the subway? It's a bad idea." And, the, and, and, and as he hands over the money, he says, "Take it, take it. It's fine." Yeah, yeah I get it. I've seen it. Uh, and and the, he he's, he uses a very commanding, "Take it, take it. It's fine." And then he gives it to the guy, and he's used this confusional language pattern, then this embedded command of take it, take it, it's fine, and the tonality. So, fair play to your man, Belfort. I like his concept. What I have to say is, as a book, the delivery around it, if I didn't know much about this if advanced you didn't know tonality stuff, you'd I've learned, just frankly, pardon the language viewers, I've learned fuck all. Yes, I agree with that. If the I next, didn't know much the next about bit it. that I ticked that I like that I did that I did think was very good actually. He makes a point about when you call and he goes, You didn't call yesterday, you didn't call tomorrow, you didn't call next week, you called right now, and there's a specific reason that I am calling you right now. The reason I'm calling you today now. Yeah. I thought, uh, great. Yeah, I'm in. there's, there's I'm not in. enough of that. And I also thought I liked his thing about scarcity and he uses the car salesman bit as an example. And and I thought that was smart. I also made a note here that he talks about, um, and my concern here was, I, I wrote in the, in the, in the sidebar of uh, page 115, I put, the challenge here is that not that many people can and will do it in our world, Mike, in as much as a lot of our candidates, are, and this is your point about tonality, are, are ex-technical or pre-sales and can be quite deadpan. You know, mm. We deal with a lot of very, very senior level people who are actually a little bit deadpan, and are not very tonal, and are not very... Mm -hmm. That's my point. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they're any less top, top, top guys, well, does it? There's a really top guy who I really rate. I hope you're watching it, Tim Hood. I think Tim Hood's absolutely mega, but his tone's very funny. Well, a bit deadpan. Yeah, dead very. Pump. Calm, deadpan. But an absolute mega But his customers guy. trust off him and buy shitloads of stuff off him. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, and then he talks about sort of lowering your voice and hanging on to the... That was all right. Yeah. I, I like that. I liked 121, page 121. I wrote down listen, pause, clarify. Where's that? So let's say he responds to asking for the order. Your prospect sounds, your prospect says, it sounds good. Let me think about it. Your reply would be, I hear what you're saying, but let me ask you a question. What he's actually done there is listen, pause, clarify. And then what he's done a bit later on is he's made, um, he's called it implied obviousness. But he said, now, John, you'll make a load of money with this. But more importantly, I just thought, yeah. Very uh, elegant, actually. Yeah. For, for a very simple pitch thing, I thought it was very elegant beauty in that. Yeah, very and good. I think that what I've got out of this so far is, if you, if you, I think if you're an experienced salesperson and you read this book, I think it would probably, hopefully, jog you into thinking more about those topics and going down a relearning rabbit hole or a new learning rabbit hole out of which you'd find some pretty interesting other learning. You're, you're right. Really? As a novice, uh, uh, I wouldn't give that to somebody as the first sales book. No, I'd be annoyed. I, I think it would frighten the life out of uh, a, a trainee. Well, I don't think they'd be. I don't, I don't think they would understand it. It would be like me reading a book in French. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so then he goes on to advanced body language. Now I, I'm going to caveat this chapter a little bit with. If you're interested in body language, there is a book by a guy called Joe Navarro called What Everybody Is Saying. He is an ex-FBI agent who teaches body language and interrogation techniques at Quantico. 
or did do for years and then retired and went into the private sector. His book is excellent, particularly if you're in the interviewing business. Um, frankly, chapter eight, I don't think there's a lot for us to talk about here. Mm, yes and no. I actually, there's a couple of bits that were useful, weren't there? I, I tell you what, he, he made some very valid points. I think actually particularly for ladies rather than men, in fairness, about what to wear. Because I think actually, well, let's, let's cover a few points actually. So he talks about, about men and, and wearing suits. Now let's get it right. You wear less suits than me. Yes, but if I interview a candidate or meet a client, they get the courtesy of a business suit. So I agree with that. I think that's his point. I then also think it's much easier for a man to dress dead straight than a woman. Because he talks about the length of a woman's skirt, you know, it, 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 you know you're borderline covering a sort of taboo subject, really. A bit sexist even thing talking about, isn't it? Yes and no, because I think there's a bit of two sub taboo equally subjects a, that we don't talk it's, a fair ele it's an elephant in the room that possibly wants to Well, nobody it. ever talks about it. But in fairness to Jordan Belford, he does. Absolutely gets it right. Yeah, right. Um, I, I, I think he talks about beards. I've got to say, you know, the whole beard thing, it's not for me. I know it's for you, and I know I'm probably living in I the olden times. Pretty darn but my point is, he says, beard. anything more than a closely cropped beard or moustache, you know, well, uh, and you should shave it. <laughs> I've got to say, this whole... I think he's right. This whole hipster beard Would thing. Would you buy off a salesman with a hipster beard? No. I wouldn't. But well, I know some really good ones. I wouldn't buy off a Dave Mackay, I always think your beard's a bit big, but whatever I meet, you think, God, you're a good salesman. I wouldn't buy a for salesman with a hipster beard and a, and a hoop earring. Oh, Jonathan, you're so narrow-minded. Yeah, great. If I had to make an important key decision for my business, and there was one guy in a navy suit and a white shirt and a pair of shiny shoes and some other guy in a brown suit with a big hipster beard, I reckon the guy in the navy suit would have a little bit more influence over me over a mission-critical decision for the yes, business. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, so, I mean, but, but actually, I, 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 I just love this. He said... Can you guess what's the worst thing a man can wear in terms of creating a perception of mistrust? <laughs> a pinky ring. Especially like if it his, has his a big point, fat diamond on his, it. His point is he's saying don't look like a spiv and expect to win deals. What? Jonathan, have you seen the cover? He's wearing a shiny grey suit and a black tie. <laughs> and he looks like he's been smashing it in the gym, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's wearing a silk, silk suit that cost about five grand. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, I, I get his point. I do agree with him on that. And I what he's also that. saying, and fair play to him in the book is, about body language, and he's not really into body language, what he's really saying is, if you sell to the banking industry, dress like a guy that sells to banks. Yeah, yeah, if you sell to, if you're selling to creatives, dress like a guy who sells to creatives. And he's saying, get your horse right for your course, isn't he? I'll tell you another one that's interesting. He talks about eye contact. Now, I've got a few candidates more recently who have stopped taking notes, and I find they look at me a lot more. And I okay. have this, this point about taking notes, which is I like to take a lot of notes. We had the whole conversation about the iPad, Apple Pencil thing that I, I tried to like, but I think garbage, actually. Um, but I like to take a lot of notes. Now, what? Now there's a difficulty, isn't it? Because when you're taking notes, you're looking at your book. Belford reckons you've got to make at least 72% eye contact. I think 72% eye contact is tough when you're taking notes. Yes, it is. Um... I mean, I know I personally find it quite easy because I'm looking for eye accessing cues. So I'm. Yeah, but you still take a lot of notes, though. Whenever I, I do, you, you take a lot of notes. But when I look up, I'm clocking eye accessing cues, particularly if I'm interviewing, and particularly if I'm interviewing face to face. So I'm getting a lot of eye contact. Personally, I think eye contact as a form of rapport, 
mm. as an NLP practitioner is a, a utter nonsense. Yeah. Yep. Utter, utter nonsense. Why? I think the guy's just talking out of his arse. Um, he's an NLP I, practitioner, though. Yeah, but he's, he's not practicing, he's not walking his talk, as we say in NLP there. Um, eye contact. Well, what if you're dealing with somebody who's perhaps very, very uh, auditory digital? They never make eye contact. The guy, I've interviewed a fellow this morning, really auditory digital, very technically minded. If you try to make eye contact with him, you'd break rapport. And there are lots of people with whom, if you tried to make heavy eye contact, you'd just break rapport with them. Um, actually, rapport is about tonality, matching, mixing, pacing, language, tonality. That whole eye contact according to, thing According is to nonsense. Jordan, on page 132, it's like nodding, your, you've got to nod your head. Now, my dog nods his head. So I didn't really know what he meant. <laughs> and those little Elvis things in the back of cars. Yeah, so you've got to nod your head. All right. Uh, okay. But I'm a bit like you. I sort of skipped through this. Yeah, I, I, I got into thought. it, and I, and, and uh, I just thought, oh come on, you've un I'm, I'm uninspired now. Corn I'll tell you what was very useful. He talks about cornering off. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a note about that because I don't really. I'm the chap I met yesterday, actually, Nick. Just the way the room was set out, we ended up sitting opposite one another. Actually, was there a table in between yep. you? It's okay. Is it okay? Because I felt very yes. comfortable talking to him. Yes. Interestingly, I've read the chapter before I met him, actually. Yes. It's okay if there's a table in between you, but if there's not a table in between you and the two of you face head on, that is ve that's alpha male shit. See, I don't like that. I don't like the alpha males, really. That's a very alpha male thing to do, to, to sit in front of somebody absolutely head on, head on, head on. So if, I was, if you went into any psychotherapist's office, the psychotherapist would have the chairs cornered off. What, like this? No, not quite at sharp, not as quite a sharp an angle, but they would definitely be at an angle. There's right. no way the therapist would sit directly in front of you. It, because they want to give you time to think and space to, to think and process your thoughts a little bit. But I did like that, and I thought that was very sensible. And, and if you look, for example, in the ops manual we were using several years ago, when we were training new recruitment consultants, actually there was a diagram of how to set up an interview room with the chairs cornered None of them ever did it. No. And I tell you what, there was one chap in particular who used to sit, he used to have a table, and then sit, they used to sit both on the same side of the table, facing each other. Now he's quite, an, he's not an alpha male, he portrays to be an alpha male, but actually deep he down he's not really. Actually he's a puppy, a little puppy. Yeah, you, you were going to sw swap a couple of the peas then I think. Um, <laughs> and and whenever I used to walk past him in the interview room, he always used to look awkward. Yeah. Like he'd got into that situation... They were comfortable with it, and he was thinking, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Underneath it. Absolutely. I'll tell you the thing that was really interesting, was he talks about handshaking here. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, now, uh, something that I caught, that caught my imagination the other day, was, did you see Donald Trump shake hands with Kim? No. no. Oh, it was awesome. And this is what he's alluding to here about mirroring and matching a handshake in terms of building rapport. There was one point, him and Kim did his deal. I'm not going to go into the politics of what I think Donald Trump's like. I think, other than the fact that I think he's Neville Chamberlain in disguise. Um, he, he holds Kim's hand and then he holds the handshake. His hand is above Kim's hand. Oh, so he gives it a bit of that as well. He gives it a bit of the over, over, overpower thing. And then as they get towards the end of the handshake and Kim's sort of nervously looking at the, uh, 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 the media, he pulls Kim's hand towards him. Right. In this very powerful, that's right, we've done a deal, but I'm in charge. And you can see Trump, if you watch Donald Trump shake hands with people, it is the most 
alpha male thing you will ever see. Because quite often you see that happens to me, and I can and, I, and people will shake my hand, and I can feel them turn my hand over, and I can feel them grip my hand more than than I grip theirs, and I just think whatever. Yeah, you're I an unusually don't care. I just think whatever. You're an unusually secure person, though. I just think you're whatever. You don't care. You don't care what anybody thinks about you on any level. No, 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 not at all. And I do sort of occasionally meet candidates that are a bit like that, and I just think whatever. Yeah, I think personally, if you're playing games with a handshake, what's that point? And that you're find something better to do. Yeah, again, it comes back to listen to people's tone, match the speed at which they speak, match them, and, and get into rapport with them at a deeper level. I think if you're worrying about your handshake, you're in the wrong room. Absolutely. Now, the last one, I was looking forward to this, really. You were so excited, Oh, you? man, I was looking forward to it, because I love a bit of prospecting, actually. And I know, I'm a, I know people say that, but I actually really do. I thought it was okay. Uh, he said some good stuff. Page 140. Firstly, it's crystal clear that you should be not... You know, basically, he says, uh, trying to sell something to somebody who hasn't got a need is a fool's errand and a total waste of time. Fair yeah, enough. No pain. I'm in. 100% I'm fair, in. Fair enough, but... 100% I'm bit, in. Uh, I, th I think the word I used in reference to somebody earlier on today was facile. I think that's a bit facile. No, I think if you're a beginner in sales, that's something that needs... Because see what happens a lot when you're prospecting is it's a tough old game and then the first person that shows you any warmth, you think, oh, great, I'm in. Yeah, how, how often do we see that? How often do we see it with people that... that have worked here, and I guess we're or working the other... people we've worked with in our careers. They're just working in other environments. I'm sure it's the same every environment over. How's your meeting? Oh, he was lovely. Yeah, of interview feedback. Yeah. Oh, he was... Or interview feedback even. Oh, he was lovely. Yeah, exactly. Great, brilliant. He was nice, was he? Yeah, so brilliant. How much money has he got? <laughs> yeah, actually, it's the first potential, quote-unquote, sort of customer-style interaction you've had for a long time where someone's been pleasant and, with you. I, I, and so I can see why Jordan put that in there. Then he talked about... Um, been an expert in your field and your bottled enthusiasm. And what I actually did like about page 141 is he started to link it back to other bits of the book. And I thought, up until this point, I thought, this is just a book where he's just said what's in his mind without thinking about how it's written. But then I thought to myself, all right, you're linking it back with other bits in the book. I thought it was, I thought it was like that. I thought, and then he goes on, page 143, the first archetype, so type of buyer, yep. is a buyer in heat. <laughs> I thought it was a crude thing to say. <laughs> I liked that though. It was crude. It made me laugh. But I, I, and I, I actually did. I did actually underline that. Um, <laughs> I, I did underline it because it, it made me chuckle. A buyer in heat. But I got his point. I, I get his point. It's what he's saying is it's they're on. We'll but, yeah, go. This client is buying. He's in heat. He's he's he's, he's got pain. He's having it. He's doing it. And what I, I, I disliked about that, however, was he said the best buyer is buyer in heat, and then he went on to the next buyer or whatever. And I thought to myself, um, he said the next buyer was the buyer in power, and basically that's the buyer that's about to come into heat, using his own crude analogy. And I thought to myself, I get his point, but if I canvass somebody, and the first thing they do is, yeah, I'm recruiting right now, I think, well, that's fortunate. But then I think, you're not recruiting right now, you've been recruiting, and I've called you right now. So actually, I have just walked into the middle of the park with loads of other recruiters. Well, he's in heat, but there's already, he's already, he's already pardon there's me. Uh, yeah, well, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that, but matter, you know, that you know, metaphor. But you know, my point is, 
Is the Best Buy the one that's in heat now? Or is the Best Buy the one that you find out is going to be in heat in two weeks and you can influence? For me, I think the Best Buyer is the one that's going to be in heat in two months. Well, that's my point. But he reckons your Best Buyer is the one that's in heat. And I just thought, you know, whatever, Jordan, you're selling the same stock as everybody else. What are you going to do? Just hope that you can sell it better than anybody else. I thought that's nonsense, really. So I didn't like that. And then, he, uh, and then he talks about the dreaded lucky lose, the tyre kickers. The yeah, lucky, I like the, that. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, right. In every industry, you get a lucky loo, don't you? We, we get them in recruitment, people. Yeah, yeah, I'm always interested in hearing what's out there in the market. And, and we, we, we're, we're abundantly aware if you're not a good qualifier, you can very easily end up in a... In well, a you, get, you get your offer turned down. Correct. They stay where they are. Yeah, because people stay where they are. In, a, in any industry, there's always somebody who's always looking at the latest kit, got a few hours on a Friday afternoon to have a demo, and before you know it, you, you've thrown several thousand pounds worth of man hours at, at yes. something that was never happening, really. So that, that's fair enough, and I made a bit of a note about that, um, the professional always looking. And then it, it really comes down to the, literally the last line of the chapter. He talks about, I've written here, overall, my, my concern with this was, he's given me some interesting stuff here, um, but I don't really feel any of this is, is stuff we're going to apply that well. He does caveat it with, ne in the next few chapters, I'm going to give you the real nitty-gritty of actually how to do it. Um, I hope so. Yes, I agree. I agree. I, I mean, like I, say, like I said all along, you can't knock the guy because, you know, he was a millionaire at selling stuff and getting other people to sell stuff for him. Yeah. So... You know, who are we to criticise, really? Absolutely. And if he came on the show and said, listen, who are you? I'd think, yeah, you've got a very fair point. But what I did think was, as a man who's read a lot of sales book, and I have spent my whole career selling and dealing with salespeople, I, I think that this book is starting to fall between two, two points. One of which is, if I'm a novice salesperson and I've never done it before, this is not a training manual. No. And if I've been a salesman for a long time... It's not I've How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. Exactly. And if I've been a salesperson for a long time, it doesn't add any value to me. Other than acting as a little primer to get you thinking about things you've probably not thought about for a while. Yeah, it's a reminder, but that's about it. Yes. There's, it, there's not a lot of concrete stuff. For me, it just feels like a brochure vehicle for getting you to buy yeah. some Jordan Belfort training. Do you know, where, where, where I'm at, I think you're right. Where I'm at at chapter 10 is, I feel like actually what he's trying to sell me is some Jordan Belfort training. And would you training. buy it? I'm a man that has hi-fi separates. I'm a man that loves Big Mac. So I like hi-fi separates, right? I, I would prefer to buy a separate turntable, a separate amplifier a separate CD player. And so from a training perspective, I would prefer to go on NLP training and then would go you, and do language mm, training and, and, and. I get that. But would I buy the integrated high fidelity training that is Jordan Belfort's turn up four days later, I'll have taught you a load of stuff about selling. I would buy it for a colleague or an employee. Yes. I'd buy something else before it, actually. I'd, give point, it a go. I'd be interested the, to give it a go. My point about the Big Mac is, you know, without wishing to sound facetious about the Big Mac is, you know what you get. You know what you're getting, and it's good value, and it's a meal for a fiver. Um, as a man, do you buy your Big Macs? Uh, as 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 uh, not at the service stations, and actually, this I think there's better meals for a fiver out there. Yeah, okay. From a trading perspective, I hope. I, I, I 
truly hope next week we're sat here going, wow, I really got a lot out of chapters 10, 11, 12. It's blown my mind. Yes, but I've got to say, by the end of it, I'll be glad I've read it. Because I've not, not enjoyed reading it. No, and it, it, I've it, thought, fair enough. I've enjoyed it more than Powerful by Patty McCord. Oh, that was just garbage. That right? was hard work, wasn't it? That was absolutely just... just... <laughs> but that wasn't a sales book, though. But do you know what? Funnily enough, just going back to Powerful by Patty McCord, I must have mentioned that book about ten times in different meetings with different clients and different things I got out of it. So every book you read brings something to the party. You can't, you can't read a bad one. You can, but you, you can always get something out of one of them. Yes, exactly. Right, so next week we'll see if chapters 10, 11 and 12... I've got to tell you, 10, 11 and 12, that's a lot of reading. They're not big chapters, though. Yeah, it's the final three, isn't it? The final furlong, as they say. This is like when I'm in the Leeds Half Marathon, I only trained seven miles. The last two miles was hard. (laughs) This is going to be tough, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we need to choose another book so people can start getting their orders in. Um, Any thoughts on one? I think we need to go around. Do you know, I was speaking to a guy, a chap called Patrick, about this on... Wednesday, Thursday, I can't remember. Um, and he was talking to me about the book club, which, by the way, loads of people talk about this. No one likes it on LinkedIn. Like it and share it. Like it and share it. I don't think there's a link. You know, if you like this video on LinkedIn, it doesn't mean you're looking for a bot for a job and you're going to get fired. It just means you've liked the video. Yes, that's I, literally I all agree it more. means. Um, uh, but anyway, so I was talking to him about it. He's obviously watched it all the way through. Um, and, I, and I was saying to him that maybe we should read something that everybody knows about already. The one for me that I think is absolutely like pulling teeth reading, everybody says they know it, nobody actually really knows it, Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. Ooh. How many, cli- how many candidates and clients say I've actually done the, tr- done the spin training. I've not done the spin training, but I've read the book. It's a, I mean, it's like wading through treacle. The actual, yeah, I actually did the spin training. And now, it was a while ago, I think you might find it was the mid-90s when I did it, but I have done it. And uh, Do you know what? I didn't realise you were that old. <laughs> every now and then I still go into a meeting and I write S-P-I-N at the top of my notepad yes yes I mean I, I was thinking maybe we should pick something very straight or you know like Miller Hyman or something that's widely recognised mainstream as a mainstream yeah 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 right so, so maybe we'll look out for some suggestions okay yeah so what I said how about this then it's open to you the viewers until Wednesday evening of next week and in the absence of a decent idea Michael and I will choose Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. Okay. Agreed? Yeah, fine, yeah. Right, lovely to see you all this uh, this fine sunny afternoon. I'm going to go and lose some golf balls. I reckon if I dropped four, I'd be pretty happy. Right, oh, fair no. play. I'm off to yoga. How manly? Hot yoga. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Does that make it any more manly? No, no. Okay. I don't you sit there going, um, dum, shibai. There's none of that. Right, okay. Oh, I don't do it. I'm not a man that says namaste to the teacher. I, I, I find that you don't walk in because I'm not taking the Mickey now. <laughs> it is a place where you walk in and give a little. There's a bit of that in at a certain point in the class. There's a bit of that going on. I don't do it. What do you do? I just stand there silently waiting. <laughs> <laughs> right. See you all next week. Bye. Bye.